thank you to our presenting sponsor, Milwaukee Tools. Welcome to episode eight of the Coffee Break podcast, the official podcast of ABC Massachusetts and the Google Construction Institute. I am Dan Guerin, joined as always by Mike Maloney and Allison Jackson. We have a jam-packed episode this week, but before we get rolling, uh, Mike, I know uh, we need some help. Thanks, Dan. We are currently looking for a sheet metal instructor at our Andover location. So if anybody out there knows somebody with a journeyman's license and the passion for the trade, please reach out to Mike at GWGCI.org. We are offering a $500 signing bonus. We are always paying competitive rates and we would love to bring on uh, some new people to teach the trade. So uh, if just keep us in your thoughts, please. If you know anybody looking, someone's retired, someone that has some uh, availability to teach, it's Mondays and Wednesdays at our Greater Lawrence Technical School location up in Andover on Mondays and Wednesdays. So, but that kind of brings us to a good point here where we have Steve Sullivan with us today. He's going to talk about the Construction Diversity Grant. It's an amazing opportunity for people out there. It's free training. So if you know anybody that is looking to get into the construction trade, Steve's going to tell us about it now. So Steve. Thank you, Mike. Um, honored to talk to you uh, about this great opportunity for us. So the Associated Builders and Contractors of Massachusetts received uh, a grant uh, from the Massachusetts Executive Office of Labor and Workforce Development. And the grant is titled Construction Diversity. And the, the goal of the grant is to bring uh, more diverse uh, apprentices into our industry. And uh, we have reached out and we're going to do our best to, to, to bring more folks, uh, uh, new Americans, if you will, in, into, into our industry. So this grant is being spearheaded by our ABC uh, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Task Force. And that's made up of uh, many of our uh, human resource professionals from our member companies. And the task force will be working with me to do outreach. Um, so there are two components to the grant. One is a classroom component and one is a survey uh, that we'll be doing. And I'll get into I'll get into that now. The classroom component is basically um, it's using the National Center for Construction Education and Research, NCCER core curriculum, adding a uh, OSHA 10 class to, um, to to new these new new students, if you will, new clients. We're going to bring them in in person and teach them um, get them ready for, it's really a pre-apprenticeship program, get them ready for a, a full registered apprenticeship program. Uh, we're looking for folks to, to reach out to me, Steve at abcma.org to uh, let, me, let me know if you're interested. And, and the criteria basically is, you know, be able, to, be able to be on time and be able to participate in the class and pass the test modules. And we'll do our best to make sure you do pass all the modules. There's no other real criteria. Um, you, you know, as long as you can get to class uh, via your own car, a bus, or a train, or however you get here, um, we want you here and we want you to participate. So there's not much uh, criteria involved. The second part of the grant is really exciting. We're actually going to be doing a, a construction diversity uh, survey to our members. And our members will be getting this survey in the mail and via email by the end of, of January. And it's basically, you know, 10 to 12 questions, where they stand in the diversity space, how are they doing with recruitment, how are they doing promoting managers in, in, in the diversity uh, side of things. Um, as we all know, 
uh, we're trying to get these new faces in and we need to make sure that um, these new faces are able to identify with a manager um, and companies need to move things around a little bit. They need to do a better job and construction is, you know, one of the last in the game, I personally think, and we all know what we kind of live in. Um, but what's nice about this, these are, these are folks that we're trying to get, we're dealing with community-based organizations. They have a whole crew of people that they hold real close to their vest and they won't release them to just any organization. So we've built trust up with a lot of these organizations and we're getting new people uh, into our, from our new people into our country to get into the uh, apprentice and construction trades. So we really want to, to make this happen. And once we get it really fine-tuned, we'll be able to do this for a couple of years. The funding go, lasts through 2024. So unfortunately, COVID has really put a, a stop on the classroom side because the you know being um, next to each other in a classroom is not ideal nowadays. But I personally think by the end of, uh, in, you know, middle of the spring, we'll be able to open up and get this grant uh, um, in place. So. I, I appreciate Steve, that. have you have you noticed that um, the people that go through the program do they have luck finding jobs in the construction industry? Yes, they do. It's great. You know, they're coming in. If you think about it, Mike, they're coming in to a company with about ninety hours of, of pre-apprenticeship training that um, they will be able to apply to their registered apprenticeship program. So, arguably, if you look at it this way, th these are ninety hours that the company doesn't have to pay for. So these people are going to, they're going to go right to the top of the list. They're going to come up with an OSHA 10 card. They're going to learn how to use hand tools, power tools, materials handling, how to read construction drawings. They're going to be really ahead of the game. And I've had great success from our membership placing these recent graduates from my pre-apprentice program. Thanks, Steve. That was some amazing information and it's a great way for people to get into the trade. And I'm definitely looking forward to hearing the interview with the folks over at DECO. Uh, their project was pretty amazing, and uh, Dan was lucky enough to spend some time with them. So, so uh, we're going to be joined here by uh, three gentlemen from Deco uh, who won a 2021 Excellence in Construction Award for their work on the Lonza Project Peregrine uh, project that was for Moderna. It helped bring the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine to market. Um, it was a it was a great conversation. It's a fascinating project. Um, 11,000 feet of piping, 3,000 weld inspections had to be done. Um, it was incredible to read through uh, the project narrative that was submitted for the Excellence Construction Awards. Um, so let's bring the gentleman from DECO in. Welcome to the podcast, Brian, Matt, and Mike. Thank you guys uh, for joining us on episode eight of the Coffee Break podcast. What would you guys say was the most challenging aspect of the project uh, from each of your perspectives? Well, um, from my perspective, like I mentioned to you before, Dan, I, you know, I was not with Deco at the time, but I was with Wanda, uh, who's uh, doing this job, partnering with Moderna to make this happen. I happened to run the construction management program for Wanda when we did all the major projects. So uh, at the beginning, the, the challenge was uh, both you know, schedule and trying to get something incepted and uh, designed and then in place in a crazy short period of time. Money to a certain degree was no object. It was operational work speed, but it became, it was really the reality of, from my perspective, that time, who do I bring on board uh, along the lines of to 
make this actually happen. And that was really the biggest thing. So we actually went and um, we came up with some legacy contractors that have been out there before. We them on the list. We didn't have time. The luxury to get things out and try to get the best price. Uh, all we could do was try to source the people that we thought had the entity that we thought could do the job. So obviously, Deco was the critical player in this thing because, it, again, it was a pharmaceutical uh, application and process pipeline and this is what back in the day was the part of this. And uh, we knew that if we had Deco on the desk, that we were off with this side. So, but again, I had to pull together some other folks. But, you know, Deco was really the heart and soul of the thing that made it all happen. And they integrated extremely well with all the players, brought great things to the table. And at the end of the day, I just do quality. Brian, how about yourself? Sure. From a project manager perspective, I think that my biggest challenge coming out of the gate was, you know, the great irony of this project was that it came at a time when the world was shutting down, you know, reducing work hours, spacing out. Uh, you know, people are saying, you know, work from home if you can. But when this project hit, we were kind of in the blind of what the scope was. Uh, and, and when it hit, they said, we got to get this going pretty fast. We'll be ready for it. But the space was fairly small, and we had to do the exact opposite of what we were being asked to do. And that was bring all of our trades in close together in a tight space and with other contractors and execute this work. And Lonza really set the tone in terms of the protocols. They we're following the CDC guidelines. They said, okay, we're going to try to maintain six feet, but more importantly, we're going to maintain a, a mask policy so that in those cases where you are in less than six feet, you're, you're protected. So that, that seemed to work throughout the project. There were a couple cases that flared up, not with DECO, but with other contractors, and we were able to manage through that. But that was, that was the biggest challenge coming out of the gate. It was, you know, we were doing the exact opposite of what the world was doing. We had to come together in very tight spaces, and our crews had to work very long hours in, in those spaces. Matt, only appropriate that you're joining us from a job site today since you're the site super for the project. Yeah. <laughs> what about your opinion on uh, what was uh, the most challenging aspect? I would definitely say the uh, design on the fly, as it would, you know, they would call it. Um, and then mostly just the uncertain, uncertainty. Everybody was worried about what their family and, you know, most people, it was slighter fight or flight, honestly, some guys wanted to go home right away, and others want to just stay working and power through. Um, so that was, that was, I think, my biggest challenge was, you know, the guys were always asking, you know, what's this, what are we going to do, and, and just relaying on Brian and our upper management is what, what got through, but, you know, the design, again, everybody touched on it, but the hours, close proximity with this virus going on. All of it was a challenge, but we level heads and cool minds and a lot of painting and we got through. So, yeah. uh, Were there any like major adjustments that you guys needed to make on the fly, like you mentioned, Matt, um, throughout the process, just given the time constraints that you guys had? Yeah, I mean, there was just because Lonzo was partnering up with, with Moderna and they were building a facility right down there simultaneously. Um, so it was just, you know, a new process and some of the stuff wasn't exactly done, designed out right. So, yeah, there were some things we put up some pipe and have to take some down. But. There's 11,000 feet of piping that got installed, yeah. something like that. That's um, 20,000 man hours to do that right. work. Holy yeah. cow. And all having to stay compliant with the FDA as well. Right. 
Oh yeah. Um, yeah, this is this is not a traditional plan spec bid process. So, as Matt indicated, Matt literally uh, dragged some of the engineers through the job site to, to make changes in the design. It, it wasn't anything we could issue on a sketch or an RFI or a submittal. We couldn't wait for all that documentation. And Salonza's and the general contractor's credit, they they cut a lot of that red tape out and they eliminated all the traditional roadblocks blocks and construction that you see because they understood the urgency for, for speed to market. And we're kind of used to that working in the drug industry anyway. Uh, ironically, this the work itself was not unique to what we already do. And, and a lot of the projects we work on have fast track schedules, but obviously this thing had global impact. So the, the sense of urgency was, was certainly more than anything we've ever done or anyone's ever done. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah, funny, yeah. You, you mentioned the, the scope of work. I was, when I was reading through the, um, the project narrative for the project, uh, 3,000 weld joints had to be inspected. That's a, a lot. <laughs> um, how, how did you guys kind of handle that? I mean, that's that seems like a lot of work just in itself, right? Yep, we had two QC personnel and, and uh, one on a third that works for our in-house team on site and uh, a lot of communication, a lot of running around for sure. Um, so I, I, I saw that you, uh, the, the DECO rather, instituted a non-congregation rule that was put into effect on job sites. How does that, how did that impact how you handled like toolbox talks, toolbox talks, um, safety check-ins, things like that? Yeah. So, um, basically where we meet every morning is a big wide open space anyway, but we used to have tables set up. So we had to, uh, Every morning we come in and I would clean the tables with alcohol and seats daily, um, but we couldn't, we had to split apart. Um, so it stopped our morning meeting, sitting down at the tables. It stopped eating lunch inside the building together. Uh, on Thursdays, we used to do coffee and donuts for the guys. So we couldn't do that anymore in the morning. Really our, you know, appreciation stuff, our lunches that we always did, stuff like that had to come to a direct halt. We just had to space out. It was. It was it was uh, more of a burden and just something to get used to. Now we're we're used to it, but at that time, yeah, it was a lot of new. And uh, same thing with project meetings. We had to we still had our site project meetings because we needed to be on the site looking at the work. So we we spaced out you know uh, six foot apart for the project meetings, and then of course a lot of the meetings for design and construction management went online, as you know. Was there anything like in particular aside from the spacing and all that kind of stuff? Um, was there anything that DECO did in particular to ensure that, especially for this project and the, the staff members that were working on the project Peregrine, um, that DECO did to ensure the workforce stayed as safe as possible during the life cycle of the, of the project? Yeah, DECO, I mean, Brian probably speak more, but I mean, uh, company-wide, uh, we were handing out uh, hand sanitizers. Um, like I said, we were Myself and my other uh, supervisor at the time, we were cleaning the tables daily just for the guys, uh, face masks, applying them. So it's just basic that. But then um, Kyle and, and all the uppers, we had daily, daily, almost weekly, if not daily, paperwork on, you know, protocols and what we can do, just basically trying to keep the morale up, you know. But I honestly think a lot of people took pride in this project. So no score. So I got to ask, it's going to sound a little bit cheesy, but how does it feel to be a part of bringing something like that 
to market knowing that you had, you know, not only an impact on like your local community, but in all reality, the, the, the world. How does that feel? For me, it was a great sense of, I had a great sense of pride. It was, uh, it was good watching the whole team come together and work as a team to get this done. Uh, most importantly, is one thing I did notice is uh, whether people had issues or not, we still were here at the same purpose. Uh, and it was real good. But yeah, a great sense of pride knowing that, you know, we didn't come up with the vaccine or anything, but we helped deliver the, the product, you know. So yeah, for me, it was a great sense of pride, for sure. Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of like participating in a world event. I mean, I, I hate to use World War II as an example, but, you know, back then we had to build ships and aircraft carriers in six months when they typically take two years because of the urgency. And obviously this was for a different reason, but we had that same sense of urgency and uniqueness. And, um, you know, just the, the, the wonder of it, if you think about the timeline of it, okay, the shutdown was in March. We were already building this in, in mid-May. So it was a very quick time frame where this thing got developed and got executed. And we had to have the second phase done by Labor Day. So it was very fast. And we still really didn't know at that time if the vaccine was going to work. They were building this in anticipation of it working. So if it failed, they, they didn't want to waste that testing time. They wanted to at least get the buildings and the, and the production suites fabricated and operational while running a parallel track of the, the public testing. And one of the other challenges with this was what I think much of the public probably knew is Moderna had never actually brought any of their previous products to market. So the challenge was they had a vaccine that worked, but it was trying to scale it up to, to allow you to produce it in large batches and large quantities to be able to get enough of it out there to make an impact that they had never done this before. So everybody involved in the project was from, from a true design on the fly standpoint, which was the term that Matt used earlier. It was amazing to see. Everybody had great ideas about what needed to be done. And, um, you know, by hook or by crook, as Brian mentioned, the, the job started in March. By June, we were already producing the initial phase one uh, smaller scale batches. And then by uh, got that and then moved on to the, uh, yeah, the phase two, which was to really upscale and produce even larger quantities. And again, hit the mark by uh, the end of September of that year could be really producing uh, the vaccine ingredients uh, in a large way and knowing that they were going to uh, uh, be out there that you could produce them properly, they'd have the proper efficacy and just keep going from there. It was really amazing to see and to answer the original question, um, the boys touched upon it, the tremendous sense of pride being involved in it and accomplishment and definitely felt like it sounds corny, but I think, you know, I think everybody involved was felt like they were doing their part to save the world because at that time things were so, you know, things were very scary. Really didn't know where this pandemic was going, and we knew a lot of people were dying from it. And we felt like anything we could do to, to get something out there that could be the, the solution to use that, uh, the quicker we could do it, the, the better for all of us. That's that's really great. I, I I think you guys have a great perspective on it. Just trying to help do our we're all trying to do our parts throughout this entire thing, right? And the the team, you guys specifically, you know, and the team at Deco have been in, in a vital part in trying to get through this thing. So, um, and the, the standing ovation that you guys got at the uh, the Excellence Awards event 
was uh, pretty tremendous when um, when Kyle was talking about the project. So um, that's all I got for you guys. I just want to say thank you. I got the Moderna. So big, big thank you to uh, to you guys, everyone at Deco. Um, thank you for taking the time today to join us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I could probably talk about this all day long because um, this kind of stuff is fascinating to me. But uh, but thank you very much. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll hope to have you guys on at some point again for uh, for another award-winning project. Excellent. Thank you very thank much. You. Appreciate it. Sounds good, Dan. Thanks so much for having us. It was a pleasure to be a part of this today. Thanks so much to Mike, Brian, and Matt from DECO for joining us this week and sharing their experiences on the project. Here are the upcoming trainings for the next couple months. We have effective delegation on February 8th and 9th. That's a virtual class that will be held on both mornings. We have OSHA 10 on February 15th and 16th at the Woburn office. We also have hoist 1C2A prep on February 19th at the Woburn office as well. And then on February 1st, we have Intro to Construction 101 coming up. So if you're someone who wants to get into the trades, but you're not sure where to start or which trade to enter, this is a great class for you because along with receiving training and certifications for hot work in OSHA 10, you'll also get a taste each week for all of the trades. So you can check out all of those classes and more on our training calendar at gwgci.org forward slash events. We just added a bunch more for February and March. So go check those out. And next week's episode is going to be a good one. We've got uh, Ken Taberski coming over from Notch uh, Mechanical. He's going to talk about uh, their Excellence in Construction Award winning project they did for Thermo Fisher Scientific. So everybody listen to next week, episode nine with Ken Taberski. That'll put a wrap on episode eight of the Coffee Break podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, as always, please subscribe on Spotify to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'll catch you next week. Uh, and until then, stay safe.